a question for us as we begin our consideration of these precious scriptures this morning. Are your thoughts, those silent musings of your mind, are they completely private and secretive to you? Can anyone else know the things that you're thinking right at this moment or even at every moment? Let me ask that again. Are your thoughts that you're thinking right at this moment, are they completely private to you and secretive to you? Can anyone else know the things that you're thinking right at this moment or at any and every moment? Turn to Luke chapter 5 and follow along with me. I'm going to read these words beginning in verse 17. This is Luke chapter 5. And as I mentioned last week, put you a little marker there in Luke because next week we'll just follow on to these verses and you'll have them already marked. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. One day as he, this is the Lord Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before the Lord Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lured him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Through the many years that my dear wife and I have been married, we've grown closer and closer in our relationship with each other. And now she's not only able to perceive my moods and my attitudes, very often she's able to perceive the very thoughts that I'm thinking. And that really seems to be a common thing between lifelong mates. But folks, listen, that kind of ordinary perception is not at all the kind of perception that's spoken about here in this passage. Listen again to these words. Verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Over and over again, we're reminded that while Jesus truly was like you and me in every way, a son of man, he was also very, very different. He had power and authority and ability that was far beyond that of ordinary men. He was the very son of God. And not only that, Jesus also had the very presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit abiding within him. And it's essential that you and I are always careful 
to remember that Jesus had that very special difference. Else we might find ourselves drifting in to the same trap that many of our modern day churches have found themselves in. That of having a God who is too much like us and not enough like God. Folks, whole church organizations are being formed around that sort of theme. That Jesus is like us. May I give us a big word to consider this morning? You may not need to remember the exact word. But it would be good to remember the concept. The word or words that the Bible scholars use for this current trend is called postmodern relativism. Postmodern relativism. It's a big name. But it has a simple purpose to it. Postmodernism rejects the idea that the same moral and spiritual codes and values that are given within these scriptures should be acceptable to every person. But rather it insists that the values and the codes of conduct should be relative to each person individually and relative to their circumstances that they're involved in. In other words, no specific set of values exists Everyone is able to determine their own preference in the values that they choose. And many people within the churches have adopted that trend. There have been many books written about it. And they earnestly and sincerely think that such understanding will make Christ and Christianity more relative to each person, more acceptable to them, and then perhaps more people will be drawn to attend the churches. But folks, that manner of thinking is very, very misguided. Very misguided. And may I say that for those theologians and those preachers and those Sunday school teachers and even those parents who have gotten caught up in teaching those concepts, none of those concepts are found in these scriptures. None of them are found in these scriptures. Jesus truly was human in every way. But folks, along with his humanity, he was also in every way the Almighty God. The holy and righteous God who created this earth and everything in it. And who is now the one who, by his own might and power, keeps it functioning every moment of every day. And though Jesus is, truly is, the kindest and most gentle bridegroom and lover of our souls, intimate with each of us who have received him as Savior and Lord. He is ever and always our holy and almighty God, worthy to receive honor and worship and praise. And we absolutely must honor and worship and praise him in that way. God spoke about that very clearly in the words given to us through the Apostle John in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. There John after he had been transported into heaven and he was there before the throne of God, he was given this special vision of the Lord Jesus. And John tells us there, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessings. And every creature which is in heaven, 
and on the earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Folks, I must confess to you that I grieve for the condition of our modern-day churches in America. In their misguided desires to reach out and to be inclusive, that's a word for today, for this time of life in America. Inclusiveness. In the misguided desire to reach out and be inclusive and to receive without question whomever will come, bringing in misguided people who will bring with them all forms of misguided ideas and behaviors of the pagan world into the sanctuary of our holy God, bringing misunderstanding and severely corrupting the holy and righteous covenant that our loving God has made with us. Folks, yes, we are to be evangelical and we're to bring people into this church, but we are to teach them the truth of these scriptures. These churches, in all their many efforts to be inclusive, the leaders have left their first love. They've moved on to a kind of Christianity that's not found in these scriptures. This new religion of theirs is far more like that developed in the land of Canaan as God's people violated His commands and intermarried then with the local pagan residents. And they allowed the local pagan residents to bring in elements of their own pagan religions, interweaving then these pagan beliefs and practices into the pure and holy commands of God, corrupting the very core of God's holy truth. And as we know, that did not work for the nation of Israel. They floundered and they eventually were lost. Also too, even as was being done in Jesus' day by well-meaning scribes and Pharisees, who with all their man-made rules, they substituted a set of good principles for God's intended intimate love with a personal Savior. And folks, that is a very dangerous kind of religion to have because it substitutes so cleverly for the real thing. With that kind of Christianity, and we have that within our churches these days, we have our dogma and we have our preferred doctrines that each of our denominations really insist upon. And many of those doctrines were developed much in the way that we're talking about here. And with that kind of Christianity, we're really in danger of becoming what Jesus called whitewashed sepulchers, tombs with dead bones. I pray that God would guard this church and you and me from drifting into that kind of misguided religion. Yes, Jesus was a man. But far more than that, he was the Almighty God. The Almighty God, one and the same with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And because Jesus was the Almighty God, when we read here in verse 22 that Jesus knew their thoughts, we can know that, no, it was not that Jesus perceived their thoughts as you and I might. Or perhaps I've heard it preached that he was able to catch a look of unbelief on some of their faces. Or perhaps he heard some of them grumbling between themselves. No, folks, that's not what these scriptures say. Jesus knew their thoughts. 
He was and he is the Almighty God and he was able to know the intimate and the hidden thoughts of any and all of the people that were gathered there that day. He knew the thoughts of the scribes and Pharisees. And later on he would know the thoughts and the faith of the men who brought their friend there to be healed. He knew that these poor, ill-equipped scribes and Pharisees were trying to use the only thing that they had available to them. They did not have the Holy Spirit, but they had their intellect. And they were trying to use their common intellect to reason out a deeply spiritual matter that was taking place right in front of them. But that would not work at all. And Jesus told them so. Listen to these words. Verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Now consider the plight of these scribes and Pharisees for a moment. They had never witnessed such a thing before. And they were trying desperately to understand it with only their human reasoning capacity. But they could not. What appeared to be just an ordinary man was making a profound declaration about himself. A declaration that he was almighty God in human flesh. And he made that declaration by saying to this crippled man, your sins are forgiven you. Both Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew very well that only God could forgive sins. And equipped with only their common sense, these scribes and these Pharisees had to decide whether this man in front of them was a charlatan or if he was, in fact, the Almighty God who could forgive sins. And they arrived at the only answer that common reasoning would provide. And that was that Jesus must be a blasphemous heretic. Fortunately, Jesus knew every word that they were thinking. And he very carefully answered their doubting questions. Listen again to these words, verse 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sin. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Folks, this is the powerful message that God would have you and me to receive from this passage of Scripture. And that is that God knows our every thought. He knows your thoughts right at this moment and every moment. And he clearly demonstrates that for us in these words. And if we'll only take the opportunity then to search it out, we'll see that he did the same thing throughout these scriptures. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Recall that when the Lord visited Abraham and Sarah on his way down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, there the Lord told Abraham that Sarah would soon bear a child. When Sarah overheard the Lord's words from inside the tent, she laughed to herself. She laughed to herself. Listen to these words. This is Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. The Lord said to him, to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. 
And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also old? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it and said, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, Oh, but you did laugh. You did laugh. The Lord knew Sarah's thoughts. Folks, you and I need not spend our energies trying to make God relative to ourselves. Explain away circumstances like that. God truly is different. And we need to embrace that difference and not try to reduce Him down to something lesser than He is. That kind of effort will only lead us into serious error. In Isaiah chapter 44, and I would invite you to read that chapter. It's very interesting. There we read about a man who cut down a tree, and with his carving instruments, he foolishly attempted to fashion out an image of God. And then he took that wooden image, and he placed it up on a mantle, and he bowed down to it, and he said, Now save me. How foolish can we be? You and I must never do that kind of thing, to try to shape and fashion God into any image that we can know, especially into the image of a common man. By doing that, we greatly dishonor Him. He is God, and as God, He is capable of being and doing things that you and I cannot do. And that ought to be all right with us. We must not demand the privilege of being able to reason Him out and make Him more like me. God's ways are not our ways. He has majesty and power and knowledge that you and I do not have. And that includes knowing every thought that comes to your and my mind. I'd like to spend our last few minutes today meditating on the words of Psalm 139. I would like to challenge you to reread and to rethink these words in your private devotional time later. And also to do it often. Psalm 139. Listen to these words. Listen carefully now. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. And you're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. These words tell us plainly that God knows each and every thought that comes to our minds and passes through them, every one of them, long before the words might come to our tongue. Where can we go to hide our ways, our attitudes, our desires, our habits, our inmost thoughts from God? Where can we go? Nowhere. Nowhere at all. That's why you and I must want to do that which is right in His sight, in everything that we think and say and do, because everything really is in His sight at every moment, all of the time. When I'm by myself, perhaps hidden away in my study room or in my workshop, or I'm driving in my car, He knows every thought and my every deed. Are some of my thoughts angry or bitter Are they vile and vulgar? He knows them immediately, and He knows them completely. As men and women sit quietly and gossip and belittle another person, God is right there being forced to listen. As women sit quietly in their chairs and read their romance novels with stories all laced full of vile and sinful episodes, God is right there being forced to listen to their thoughts. As men hide away in their closet or on their computer and they look at pornography, God is right there being forced to share in every vile thought. God is right there being forced to share in every vile thought. Folks, do you, do I do any of these things? Perhaps we don't do these exact things, but we surely do other things very much like them. And as we do, we are forcing God to join with us in our wrong and sinful and sometimes vile and vulgar thoughts. And folks, it should not be that way. We are grieving the sweet and loving Savior who died to make us holy. What then must be our response? God tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there he tells us in verse 5, casting down arguments and taking every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And listen, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You and I must bring every thought that comes to our minds under captivity. If we do not take our thoughts captive, then surely our thoughts will take us captive. Let me say that again. If you and I don't take our thoughts captive, then surely our thoughts will take us captive. Folks, the spirit of our loving Lord Jesus knows every thought that we think. And we must not, we dare not grieve him with angry and bitter and vile and vulgar thoughts. We must bring every thought into captivity. 
Let's pray.